Tonight's reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 to 12, and that is on page 1171 of the Church Bibles. That's Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 to 12. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Thanks, Elikan. Uh, it looks like Christmas has come early. Eight weeks ago, I told you the story of Martha, a young Israelite girl at the time of the Exodus. Slavery was all she knew, just like her parents, grandparents, and ancestors before her. Cruel masters dictated every part of her reality. Long days of hard labor were normal, and the threat of the whip was never far away. But Martha gazed on in wonder as the mighty God brought about a miraculous rescue. While on her duties at the palace, she heard Moses deliver God's word to Pharaoh, let my people go. She was grossed out by the frogs and the flies. She was scared by the darkness and she was confused by the lamb's blood on the doorposts. But after all those plagues, one thing was clear. They were leaving Egypt they were free. The Israelites marched out of Egypt carrying gifts of silver and gold from their neighbors. They laughed and danced and worshipped. But after a few days, Martha's parents noticed something worrying. Instead of wearing the colorful dress that her mum had made her, Martha still wanted to wear her old gray uniform. And instead of laughing and playing with all the other kids her age, Martha just went off on her own to make bricks out of straw and clay. So her father went out to her. He sat down next to her in a pile of drying bricks and said, Martha, my child, you are free. Why are you still living like a slave? Last week we read um, in Galatians chapter 5, we read verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then 
and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And our verses this evening very much follow on from that. I realize that um, it's not in our reading, but I want to sit in verse 1 for just a minute, even if that means I'm a little bit rushed a bit later on. Because I think we've grasped what it meant for the Galatians to be going back to slavery. I think we've grasped that, the agitators teaching gospel plus law, them going back to slavery, adopting circumcision, food, laws, festivals. But I think we still need to grasp where we are gripped by old chains. We still need to grasp the the sense of joy and relief at our freedom. Um, Let me summarize with three chains that we might wear. Um, First, we might be Oh, that's going to make some interesting sounds on the microphone. We might be enslaved to worldly culture. Um, This is like the Gentile Galatians before their conversion. So in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said to them, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Any god other than the God of the Bible is a slave master. For example, um, the more you grasp after money, the more it takes hold of you. Uh, It demands your daily worship, checking your bank balance and rewriting budgets. When you're not working for it, you're thinking about it. And the minute you backslide in your devotion, the God of money crushes you as a failure. Uh, The same applies to any other idol, success, relationship, Comfort, success, I've said that one twice. All worldly gods work on the same basic principles of perform or perish. They are heavier chains than this. That offer little and take everything with no hope of release. Second chain. The first was being enslaved to worldly culture. This one being enslaved to religion. This is what the agitators from Jerusalem were trying to impose on the Galatians. Um, This slavery is rooted in thinking of God not as a father, but as a slave master. It means thinking that the way into his good books is by doing, doing, doing. It means thinking that there's no possible way back once we've let him down. Again, it's that perform or perish mentality. Um, I think you can understand how this slavery would result in religious rule-keeping that's motivated purely by duty and never by joy. It results in a crushing sense that we are never good enough. Um, Religion, just like the first one, it's a heavy chain that offers little and takes everything with no hope of release. Let's do one more. We might be, if I can keep them all on. All right, let's go for an arm chain here. We might be enslaved to church culture. So far, worldly culture, religion. Thirdly, church culture. Again, as the Galatian Gentiles were tempted to believe, we might think we need the gospel plus certain cultural markers in order to be 
included in God's family. For them, that was the gospel plus Jewish cultural markers. For us, that would be the gospel plus adopting church culture. Um, This slavery means you're only part of the in crowd once you accept the gospel and have a university degree. Uh, This slavery means you leave people out when they've accepted the gospel but aren't from the right background. This slavery means feeling like you have to dress and speak a certain way in order to be welcome. Individuals can wear this chain. Whole churches can wear this chain. Again, it is a heavy chain that offers little and takes everything with no hope of release. I'm going to put these down for a minute. I don't necessarily recommend everybody watches the film 12 Years a Slave. It's a heavy watch. Um, It's based on the autobiography of a guy called Solomon Northup. He was a free African-American man in 1841. He had a home, a wife, children, and a job as a violinist. And yet two men con him, drug him, and deliver him over into a succession of really devastatingly terrible situations over the course of 12 years. Thankfully, in the end, he is released and gets to go back to his family. But what what sticks with me from that film is his utterly helpless desperation the moment he realizes that He has no way of getting word to his family to let them know what's happened. He has no way of getting word to any authority that might be able to secure his release. Terrible. And I make no apology for comparing the sort of physical slavery that people like Solomon experienced to our spiritual slavery. Whether we recognize it or not, an even more desperate captivity was and maybe still is ours. Enslaved to worldly culture, enslaved to religion, enslaved to church culture, if you're still wearing any of those chains, be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. On the cross, he took every single one of those chains on himself and broke every one of them. I would break them, but I'm not Jesus, and I'm not 100% confident that I'd actually be able to pull those uh, those apart. If If you haven't put your faith in him yet, you are still weighed down by heavy chains. But the moment you put your faith in him, every chain is broken. You'll be free from the oppressive worldly gods of money, power, and comfort. You'll be free from the crushing sense of not being good enough. You'll be free from the need to fit the mold in order to belong. Free from sin, free from death, free from law. If you'll only put your faith in Jesus. Now, if you have been set free, don't be a Martha. Don't go back. And that's the purpose uh, of verses 2 to 12 in front of us this evening. Here we find three big reasons to stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Uh, We'll put the first of those reasons up on the screen. 
Firstly, don't go back to old chains because the consequences are devastating. The particular old chain that the Galatians were tempted to be burdened by was circumcision. And you might know that in the Old Testament, circumcision was a marker of belonging to the Jewish nation, the people of God. Uh, Paul refers to it as a work of the law. And the agitators, the opponents in Galatians, were insisting that the men needed to undergo this ritual to secure their place in God's family. Paul opens verse 2, mark my words, because he's about to give us three severe warnings that deserve our full attention. They apply to Galatians, thinking of going back to the old chain of circumcision. They apply to us, thinking of going back to old chains of slavery, to religion or to culture. Here's the first warning. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. The will be is quite important there. Paul's not just using the future tense there because he's sort of going, you will be after you get circumcised. He's looking way down the road. He's thinking of the final day of judgment. If they get circumcised, Christ will be of no value to them when they come to that final fork in the road between heaven and hell. They can't choose circumcision and Christ. It is only circumcision or Christ. As an aside, it's probably worth me saying that we should be careful not to misapply these verses. Paul is against these Galatians being circumcised, particularly as an added requirement for salvation. So he was quite happy for Timothy, a Jew, to be circumcised in Acts 16. And today he wouldn't have any problem of people being circumcised for health reasons. When we should be worried is when we're relying on Christ and religion of any kind for our salvation. Because that will not do on judgment day. On that day, when God asks, why should I let you into my house? How will you reply? If your response is, because of what Christ has done, done for me, and you will not be let in. Christ will be of no value to you if he is only part of your hope. Warning number two. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. I've already mentioned that Paul has referred to circumcision as a work of the law. And there's no definitive count of how many laws make up um, the law given to Moses. It's definitely more than 10. Um, in Jewish tradition, it, the number is 613. But Paul's point here is that if we're going to rely on the law for our salvation, we can't pick and choose which laws we, uh, we obey. So let's say that you've chosen, for some strange reason, to do an A-level in maths. The day of the final two-hour test arrives. Sorry uh, for those of you who are going through tests at the moment if this is too relevant. Um, the day of the final two-hour test arrives. You open the exam paper with trembling hands 
But hallelujah, you know the answer to the first question. So you confidently write the answer to question one down, shut the paper, put your pen down, and then ignore all of the other 612 questions in the paper. When results day comes, you're going to be in for a nasty shock, aren't you? The point here is that if the Galatians are choosing to do an A-level in salvation by law, they can't only answer the question on circumcision. They'd have to obey the whole thing. The same goes for us as soon as we start becoming legalistic about one law. Warning three. This is the most direct and serious of them. Um, It's there in verse four. The first was a possibility. If this, then that. The second was general. Any man who. But the third is personal and definite. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Trying to be justified is trying to be right with God in his good books. This warning might be aimed specifically at individuals within these churches who've already gone all in on Gospel Plus, but it is certainly a warning for all the Galatians and all of us if we're ever on the verge of going down this route. The consequences are devastating here. Those who seek to be justified by the law are alienated, separate from Christ and fallen from grace. That's because trying to be made right by the law is completely incongruent with being made right by uh, by Christ and his grace. They're pieces of a puzzle that do not fit together, however hard you try to squash them. The very nature of grace is that it's given freely without condition. We contribute nothing. And the gracious work of Christ was doing what we could never do. He lived and died on our behalf precisely because we could contribute nothing. Our best efforts would never be good enough. So the puzzle pieces of Grace and Christ fit together perfectly, but doing the law is a piece from a completely different box. It's a completely different game. If you're going to hold on to that one, then you've got to put Christ and grace away. Don't go back to old chains because the consequences are devastating. If you rely on religion to be included in God's people, if you rely on church culture to be included by God's people, the final day of judgment will not go well for you. Remember, this isn't primarily a warning for people out there. It's a warning for the church. Yes, when we look back on that final day with God's perspective, we will see that no true saint ever lost their salvation. But... Today, from our perspective, could any of us face these devastating consequences? Absolutely. Being cut off from Christ and falling from grace are real dangers. And there is no worse hell than that. So don't go back to old chains. Second big point which we'll put on the screen 
Don't go back to old chains because we will be justified on the last day. Verse 5 says, we eagerly await the righteousness for which we hope. I said earlier that this paragraph is focused on the final day of judgment. And just in case you need a bit more convincing on that, Paul uses the word for eagerly awaiting five other times in the New Testament. And every single time it's focused on this final day. What we're eagerly awaiting and hoping for on that final day is righteousness, according to this verse. This is something we all long for, whether we acknowledge it or not. We long to be good enough. Good enough for our boss, good enough for our parents, good enough for our partner. We long to be good enough for our own expectations of ourselves. Yet however hard we try, it's never quite enough. Our memories for rejection are really long, aren't they? We remember being rejected at job interview. We remember the time that our love interest said, no thanks. We remember when we disappointed our parents. Not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And that rejection hurts so much, I think, because underneath it all, we suspect that they might be right. One of the Holy Spirit's main jobs is conviction. We're not good enough for God either. But we are eagerly awaiting and hoping for righteousness. On that final day, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Christians included. But that will be a wonderful thing. Because whatever rejections we have faced, we will hear the verdict of God Almighty good enough, righteous. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased in Christ. Of course, um, in one sense, uh, in an important sense, Christians have already been justified. We have been declared righteous, but on that day we will be confirmed righteous. We will be forever good enough. Don't go back to old chains because we will be justified on the final day. But who's the we? If you look again at verses 2 to 4 in your Bibles, you'll notice that the pronoun is you, you, you. And in verse 5, it switches to we. Who is it who will be justified? Who is it that's waiting for righteousness? Again, it links back to verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This righteousness is for those who've been set free by Jesus, not those who live enslaved to religion and culture. And um, verse 5 and 6 reinforce this with all the Galatians-y words that we've come to uh, know and love over the past few weeks. Through the Spirit, by faith, in Christ Jesus, the law has nothing to do with it. This righteousness comes through the Spirit. Circumcision is irrelevant. This righteousness is for those who are in Christ. Good works are nothing. This righteousness is by faith. Although at the end of verse 6, there is another worthy aside. Um, while we are saved uh, by faith, not works, 
we are saved by a faith that works. Um, so genuine faith will always express itself in love. That's what you see at the end of verse 6. So if you want to be good enough, don't go back to old chains. Those old chains of religion and culture. The spirit, faith, and being in Christ, it's all you need. If you have that, you too can wait with certain expectation that your father will declare you righteous and welcome you home. Don't go back to old chains because the consequences are devastating because we will be justified on the final day. And finally, don't go back to old chains because this confusion doesn't come from God. Ahead of the 2011 World Athletics Championships, everyone was really excited by the rivalry in the 110-meter hurdles. Liu Zhang of China was the former Olympic champion. Cuba's Dayron Robles was the defending world champion. Both throughout the year had been swapping fastest, uh, fastest times. The starter's pistol fired, and both of them were running a good race. But on the final hurdle, something strange happened. Liu had all the momentum. He was edging ahead. Victory looked certain. His technique over all the previous hurdles had been perfect, but suddenly he stumbled, slowed, and Robles took the win. Only on the replay did the mystery of what happened become clear. On the last but one hurdle, the Cuban athlete swung his arm out towards Liu into his lane. Then on the final hurdle, Robert's arm did the same thing. It cut across Liu, knocking his arm and throwing him off balance. He cut in on him to keep him from winning the race. And obviously, um, he had to be disqualified. That's what we see in verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That sort of race is probably Paul's favorite metaphor for the Christian life. And in this race, the agitators cut in on the Galatians, causing them to stumble and throwing them into confusion. But Paul wants them to recover their stride pattern and keep running. So he tells them that this confusion doesn't come from God. He states it directly in verse 8. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Then he illustrates it in verse 9, switching from athletics to baking. In, uh, yeah, I love that variation. It's great. In the Bible, yeast is often a metaphor for something negative or something small that has a big effect. So Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, for example. In this case, the yeast represents the false teaching which started small but spread through the whole loaf. This focus on law has spread into their preaching series. It's spread into their small groups. It's spread into their youth and children's ministries. But nevertheless, verse 10, Paul shows uh, confidence that the Galatians will take no other view. That means after reading this letter, Paul's confident that they're going to recognize that the agitator's teaching is what it is. It doesn't come from God. And as a result, just like that Cuban athlete, they will be disqualified. They will pay the penalty. 
Verse 11 reinforces the very same point in a different way. Another way of recognizing that this confusion doesn't come from God is knowing that it doesn't come from his messenger either. Um, So maybe there'd been a rumor that Paul was also teaching this gospel plus law message. But Paul's really clear in verse 11. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. He doesn't preach gospel plus. As is evidence, he points to the scars on his body, his appearances before court, uh, his imprisonment at the hands of first century Jewish leaders. If he was still preaching circumcision, then they wouldn't have bothered really, would they? And I'm not too sure what to say about verse 12. God has a jealous love for his church. So when people claim to speak on his behalf and throw his children into confusion and mortal peril, he is furious. And so Paul's anger is not inappropriate here. By advocating circumcision, they're persuading people to cut themselves. They're cutting in on people who are running their race well, So Paul says, if they like cutting so much, why don't they just cut off a little bit more? Delightful. Don't go back to old chains, because this confusion does not come from God. In your Christian race, people are going to cut in on you. They will knock you off balance and throw you into confusion, if they can. We need to grow a Christian resilience, a discerning thick skin so that we can keep running. It's really good to have godly mentors, people that influence you in a positive way. Those people will will challenge you and model running well. But be careful who you follow. Are they helping you to obey the truth? Does what they're telling you come from the one who called you? Is it consistent? with the genuine good news that we find in his word. Don't go back, because the consequences are devastating, because we will be justified on the final day, and because this confusion doesn't come from God. Remember Martha, the slave girl freed from Egypt, but sitting on her own making bricks in her old slave uniform. Martha, why are you still living like a slave? Be free. Don't go back to being enslaved by the oppressive worldly gods of money and power that take and take and take. You have a God who gives and gives and gives. You are free. Don't go back to being enslaved by religion. It places heavy burdens on you and you will never be good enough. By faith, in Christ, through the Spirit, you will always be good enough and God will never reject you. We eagerly await the day, he says, you are righteous, come on in, you are free. And don't go back to being enslaved by church culture either. It demands that you fit the mold, but the gospel gives you freedom to be the person God made you, with the character he gave you, with the background he brought you from. You don't have to play the part in order to belong. You are free.
Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you that he truly has broken every chain. Thank you that we no longer have to bow before the oppressive gods of this world, the oppressive god of religion or church culture. Thank you that we are free to life in the Spirit. Thank you so much that you have declared us righteous and one day will confirm us righteous. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. Please help us never to go back to those old chains. Please help us to live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. In his name we pray. Amen.